I hope you're doing well today. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here at Mountain Park Church, and you are connected in with our Mountain Park Church podcast. Today, we're about to enter into part four of our Vision 2030 series. But before we dive into the meat and potatoes of that, I just want to review with you where we've been. Of course, if you've been connected in with us, you've heard me say this a hundred times already, but I want to repeat this again. Vision 2030 is not just um, you know about building hype in the fall, because in the fall, if you're part of a church, you're supposed to do this vision series. We actually haven't done a vision sh- series for a number of years because we haven't felt released by the Spirit to do that. We've spent the last six and a half years asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us about our God-given identity, the culture and the DNA that he has implanted in us. We've been asking him to just reveal to us his heart and his calling on us as a church in this Vision 2030 series is now the beginning of our expressing that out loud. We sincerely believe that we are on the threshold of a once in a generation shift in the life of our church, not because God hasn't done amazing things in the past. He has. This church has been around since 1975. It's been under great pastors and leaders, great people that have been here in different seasons in the life of the church. But we sincerely believe that we're on the threshold of a new epoch, a new era in the life of this church, and that God is giving us some strategic vision for the next seven years. That's why we're calling this Vision 2030. As we started this series, we we painted this picture that God has given us. He's calling us back to a Matthew 6, 9, and 10 spiritual life, not just spiritual life, just whole life, where we become the kind of people who live the prayer of Jesus. Father, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven through us. So the vision that the Holy Spirit is giving us for the life of our church is the invasion of God's kingdom on earth, specifically in Niagara, where we are located as a beginning place, the invasion of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven through you. This is a vision where our whole region is filled with men and women who are becoming these living cathedrals of God's presence and power. The key thought from that opening week is that our lives are meant to be the place where heaven meets earth. Your life is meant to be the place where heaven touches the earth, where the realities of the kingdom of heaven, the power and the beauty and the goodness and the majesty of the kingdom of heaven touch the earth. From there, we went on to describe what our mission then is. So if our vision is the invasion of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven through you, the way that that is going to be accomplished, we began to talk about in part two, which is by living the way of Jesus for the renewal of Niagara. There are two components to that. One is by living the way of Jesus. And the second is the outflow of that. We are not living the way of Jesus. So we become pious religious experts. We're living the way of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus can flow through us, creating renewal in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our region itself, in the Niagara region. So in part two, we were keying in on Matthew 7, 24 to 27, and specifically keying in on Jesus's description of what wisdom looks like. It's the person who not only hears what he is saying, but the person who lives it out, the person who practices. So we began to unpack what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We began to sort of relook at the definition of who Jesus is, how we think about him, and how we understand that word disciple, which we used uh, our modern English best equivalent of apprentice to talk about that. The key idea from part two was that we are learning from Jesus to live our lives as he would live them if he were us. We're not necessarily learning to do everything he did in the manner he did it. We believe in all of the gifts of the spirit. We believe in the supernatural activity and work of God. We believe that he heals today, that he sets people free, that the kingdom of God looks today the same way it did in the New Testament. We believe all of that, but we are called to express and to live the way of Jesus through our normal life, through our everyday life, not become something different, but bring the kingdom into our everyday reality. So what we sort of landed on is that we are learning how to do everything we do in the manner that he did all that he did, meaning Jesus. In part three, we began to just dive a little bit deeper into what living the way of Jesus looks like. Sticking in Matthew 7, 24 to 27 still, we began to unpack what Jesus says about building. And in that passage, Jesus is saying that you are building your life on something. The question is not whether you are building, the question is what are you building? What are you building your life on and what are you building your life with? And so as we are unpacking this idea of becoming living cathedrals, we need to understand that there are some counterfeit blueprints for what we should be building our life on. There are these counterfeit blueprints that look Christian in a lot of ways. They look like the way of Jesus, but they aren't genuine. They won't produce the fruit of the kingdom. In us, they produce the fruit of the kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of God. And those counter formational plans or the, or the plans of the world, the flesh, and the devil are plans to build castles and fortresses, not cathedrals. So again, we are diving deep into what it means to live the way of Jesus, is to build your life as a cathedral of the presence and power of God, which is a counterformational building plan for life. The plan that comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil around us is a plan to build castles and fortresses. So again, just recapping these big ideas, living the way of Jesus means to live our life as he would live our life if he were I. That means Jesus 
what would you do? How would you prioritize your life if you had my schedule, my family, my work, my responsibilities, if you had my pain, if you had my trauma, if you had my personality, my emotions, if you had my stuff that I just carry, the normal stuff of life, how would you order your life? And that's what we've been unpacking as it relates to living the way of Jesus. We're gonna dig a little bit deeper today in part four, as we talk about what it means to become people of tangible presence, counterformation, and responsive mission. Okay, so we are in part four of this Vision 2030 series. Today, we're unpacking a little bit further what it means to live the way of Jesus and what it means to live the way of Jesus in our context is to become people of tangible presence, counterformation, and responsive mission. The scripture that we wanna just kind of hold ourselves in today is Luke 6, 39 to 40. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like his teacher. We need to follow someone with the right vision for life, someone who knows how to live with God on the earth, someone who knows how to be the living place of the kingdom of God on the earth. We need to follow someone that has the right blueprint for life, someone who we can look to in those ways. And Jesus is the place where we're going to focus our attention. What we are recognizing here, the vision that he's giving us is to shape our lives around these three dominant priorities that we see happening in the life of Jesus. Again, what we are talking about is not replicating his life in every way. We're not talking about becoming first century Jews living in Palestine. What we're talking about is learning to live our lives as he would live them if he were us. Learning how to orient our lives around the presence of the Father, around counterformative work, the work of the Spirit in our character, personality, emotions, in our inner being, and a life of responsive obedience and faithfulness to the Holy Spirit, responsive activity on the earth, what we're calling responsive mission. So Jesus was super intentional with how he built his life. In order to build his life on a solid foundation, he cultivated these three areas. And if we are going to live the way of Jesus, we too need to prioritize and organize our life around presence, formation, and mission. For years, we've used three other words. For, I think, at least four years now, we've used these other descriptors of this same reality. We've used the words intimacy, obedience, and authority. Having those be the character sort of markers of our life in Jesus. 
That's, that's where we have been rooted in the last number of years. That's, those are the character markers. We felt, felt the Holy Spirit saying, this is the culture that I'm calling you to build at Mountain Park. This is the DNA that I, I want you to sow into the life of the church. And I want to just say, when we shift to talking presence, formation, and mission, we're actually just using different language to express the same thing. We want to be people who are marked as people of intimacy, obedience, and spiritual authority by prioritizing our attention on the presence of the Father, a life of counterformation, and responsive mission. Those three words, uh, you know, presence, formation, and mission, they're not unique to us. And in fact, I have spent a absorbent amounts of time and energy over the last year trying to come up with uh, absolutely unique and and creative ways, one-off ways of describing the culture and DNA that we feel the Holy Spirit is calling us to build and curate and cultivate here. And at the end of the day, these three words, presence, formation, and mission, seem to be the most clear for us to rally people around. And they're not unique to us. They actually come by way of a church in New York City called Church of the City. Pastor John Tyson is their lead pastor there, and they're building and have been for many years this culture of presence, formation, and mission. And so we're not intending to copy their culture. We're not intending to live out of the, the unique vision and mission that God has given them in New York City. These are just words that so clearly express our heart. When I first heard them talking about the culture of the kingdom, they feel uh, responsible to cultivate there. And they use these words, presence, formation, and mission. I literally, um, like my spirit leapt inside me and, and within me, I didn't say this out loud, but within me, I was, I, I was thinking, that's exactly what's in my heart. That's, those are the descriptors of what the spirit has been stirring in me. I just haven't had the great language. We just haven't had the great language to describe that. And as we have used intimacy, obedience, and authority, it's been rather abstract for people and hard for them to envision how that actually can be integrated into their life, what it actually means. So we are going to live the way of Jesus by becoming people of presence, formation, and mission. The way that those things will come into being in our life uh, will happen in three ways. So the vehicle for presence, formation, and mission, living the way of Jesus, the vehicle that we will use in that, in that way is the same thing we see Jesus orienting his life around. Scripture, practices, and dependence on the Holy Spirit's gifts and power. So these will be the vehicles. This is what we're going to unpack a little bit today. Living the way of Jesus, being his apprentice, means patterning our life after the priorities that define Jesus's own life. Jesus's life was defined by the priorities of the Father's presence, counterformational mission in his, or for, counterformation in his character, in his inner being, forming himself into the image of the Father 
and a life of responsive mission on the earth? These are the kind of questions that we should be asking if we are to organize our lives around the same priorities of Jesus. First question that we ask, how would Jesus prioritize attention on the Father if he had my job, my schedule, my family, my responsibilities, my bank account, my pain, my personality, my passions? You could keep going with those. The first question we need to ask in order to live the way of Jesus is how would Jesus prioritize attention on the Father if he had my life, if he had the realities, the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly realities and constraints of my own life? The second question that we need to ask if we are going to live the way of Jesus through counterformation is, where do my character, my schedule, my family, my priorities, my bank account, my emotional life, my mental health, my pain, my personality, my desires, urges, passions, reactions and attitudes toward others need to be counterformed into the image of Jesus as we see it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, roughly, as we see it in Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 6, or in Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 14, the second question we need to be asking about uh, formation into the image of Jesus, a life of formation, so that we can live the way of Jesus is where is my character, my schedule, family, all of that stuff, where is that out of alignment with what scripture says the character of the father in the kingdom is? And the third question is how can I live more responsive today to the voice of the Holy Spirit and learn to walk in obedience to his invitation to depend more on his gifts and power in and through me. How do I begin to cultivate this kind of life in the spirit, walking in step in the spirit, as Paul says it, like Jesus did, learning to rely on his gifts and power. That life of responsive mission is not just Christian uh, busybodying, if that's a word. That life of responsive mission is a life lived in response to the initiative, the voice and initiation of the Holy Spirit. A life where we increasingly trust in his gifts and in his power through us. A life where we decreasingly are reliant on human um, capacity, on human gifting, on human strength on human agency. We are calling you and calling ourselves. We have this vision where Niagara is filled with men and women who are living daily in responsive agreement with the Holy Spirit, where they're learning to trust him with the kinds of things that he's inviting them into, learning to step on and depend on the Holy Spirit's gifts and power. These are the ways that we believe we will begin to live the way of Jesus for the renewal of Niagara. Robert Mulholland Jr. in his amazing work of, called 
invitation to a journey says this about this general, this larger category called spiritual formation. He says, spiritual formation is the great reversal from being the subject who controls all other things to being a person who is shaped by the presence, purpose, and power of God in all things. So living the way of Jesus is becoming people of presence, formation, and mission. And we're going to become people of presence, formation, and mission as we give attention to scripture, spiritual practices, and a life of depending on the Holy Spirit's gifts and power. Wanna just, just dive into this a little bit more because our tendency right about at this point is to try and think of all of the different ways, the different mechanisms we need to try out in order to cultivate this stuff in our life. And I wanna just say, we are not going to live the way of Jesus by trying harder. We need to shift our mindset from a mindset of just trying harder adding more religious activity, adding more kind of quote unquote spiritual stuff into our life, we need to do it by training. And we will train ourselves to become people of presence, formation, and mission by giving attention to engaging our lives with scripture, regular rhythms of spiritual practice, and a life where we are increasingly depending on the Holy Spirit's gifts and power being led by his voice. So I wanna just dive into these three training mechanisms to become people that live the way of Jesus, becoming people of presence, formation, and mission. Number one, training mechanism. This is scripture. We bring our lives under scripture, the posture of our heart, the vision that God is stirring in us as it relates to our posture towards scripture is a posture of humility where we bring our lives under scripture, where scripture becomes the authority for our life and our identity. Scripture becomes the primary way that God reveals his presence, his nature, and his character. The primary tool in which we are to train to understand who God is, who we are, and what he's invited us into. The goal of engagement with scripture is not just simply to know scripture for its own sake. I, I've met and I have known many people that have memorized even whole books of the Bible who still don't seem to have a character that is transformed into the image of God. The point is not to know scripture just for the sake of knowing scripture. It is to know and love the God who has revealed himself in scripture. When we call you to train by engaging in scripture, we're calling you to cultivate a uh, relationship with the presence of God himself. It's in scripture where we see uh, who God is. It's in scripture where we meet the presence of God, the nature and the name of God. It's uh, in scripture where we see what being counterformed into the image of Jesus in our character and in our desires and identity and relationships actually looks like. And it's in scripture where we discover our divine purpose, our calling and God's mission on the earth 
through us. So the way that we begin to train instead of trying is that we begin to engage intentionally with scripture in our life. Engaging with scripture is essential to becoming people of presence, formation, and mission. So how do we begin to train with scripture? There's a few ways that we can relate to scripture. I'm not going to cover these in detail. I just want to mention them. We First and foremost, I think, engage with Scripture by learning to meditate on Scripture, by listening to Scripture, by taking time to reflect on Scripture, by giving space for the Holy Spirit to be the one who counsels us, who speaks through Scripture to us, who instructs and guides us. That's what Jesus said his role was. His role was to teach us everything, to correct and convict and to speak and to nurture. His role is to teach us the way of Jesus and a primary vehicle that he uses is scripture to do that. One of the the structures that we use here for that is Lectio Divina. That's just a structured way of meditating on and listening to the Holy Spirit as we unpack passages of Scripture. We want to call you to engage with Scripture by meditating on it. We want to call you to engage with Scripture by memorizing it. And not just kind of one-off verses that we randomly pluck out because we like how they sound, but I I want to call you to engage in Scripture by memorizing larger passages, whole trains of thought. Memorize all of 1 Corinthians 14. Memorize all of Galatians 5 and 6. Memorize all of Romans, you know, chapter 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Memorizing larger portions of Scripture is a way that we can engage with the God of Scripture. We also want to call you to study Scripture, to inductively study it, to to examine it, and to... Uh, bring it into that place where you are seeking to understand what is it that, uh, that God is saying historically in the life of the church through this? What is the context that uh, this scripture was written in? What is the context of the words that I'm reading now? What is the, the meaning of them? We are calling you to engage with scripture through study and we're calling you to engage with scripture through teaching through being under uh, the teaching of God's word here in the life of our our church. So I just want to say this as we just kind of wrap up this, how we engage uh, through scripture. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees of Jesus's day knew scripture up and down, back and forth. They had it mastered, but they missed Jesus himself. They knew Bible verses. They memorized the whole Torah, whole books of the Bible, but they didn't know the God of the Bible. That is not the vision of Scripture that we want to call you into. That is not the engagement with Scripture we want to invite you into. We're calling you 
into a living and dynamic relationship with Scripture. Scripture as a meeting place with God himself. Scripture as a place to cultivate the presence of God, to cultivate counterformation in your character and in your attitudes and in your personality, in the way that you relate to others, in how you handle conflict and stress and all kinds of stuff like that. We're calling you to engage in scripture as a meeting place for God, a place of counterformation, and a place to see him, know him, and encounter him, a place to receive vision for your life, vision for the calling, the unique identity that God has given you in your life. Scripture is not something for us to intellectually master. That's not the vision for engagement with Scripture we have. It is something that must master us, direct us, correct us, shape us, stir us, captivate us, and lead us into presence, formation, and mission. So the way that we become people of presence, formation, and mission, the first vehicle in that is engagement with Scripture. The second vehicle in becoming people of presence, formation, and mission are to be people who engage in regular rhythms of spiritual practice. Look, this is what Jesus did in his own life. He engaged in regular rhythms of spiritual practice that connected him to the Father's presence, that deeply formed him into the image of God, and that uh, catapulted him into a responsive mission and purpose on the earth. These are the things that Jesus patterned his life after, and he's calling us to pattern our lives after the practices that he himself did. The purpose of spiritual practices, or some of you may use the word disciplines or holy habits, whatever you wanna call them, the purpose is not to become experts at those individual practices. The purpose is to open yourself up to God. The purpose is not to become an expert in silence and solitude or an expert in fasting or an expert in prayer or an expert even in scripture reading. The purpose is not to become an expert in tithing or you know, whatever, just pick any practice you want. The purpose is not to develop mastery and expertise of those things. The purpose is to intentionally cultivate attention on God, to open yourselves up to God's presence. These practices are places of access where we learn to bring the kingdom to bear on our real lives. They are training spaces, vehicles for becoming people of presence, counterformation, and responsive mission. The best example I can think of comes from what is arguably the greatest movie of my growing up years, and that is the original Karate Kid from the 1980s. And in that original movie, we are introduced to a young man named Daniel who moves to a a new area and begins to get bullied by some of the bigger, more intimidating kids in his school and in his neighborhood. And in an effort to learn how to protect himself from this bullying, he finds a karate master, a sensei named Mr. Miyagi. And he asks Mr. Miyagi if 
he would train him in karate so that he can defend himself. And Mr. Miyagi agrees to begin training him, but his training regimen does not look anything like Daniel thought it would. Or if you are using the inflection of Mr. Miyagi, Daniel's son, the, the training that he enters him into, and if you've seen this movie, you know where I'm going with this, is what? It's characterized by four words that you're gonna remember as soon as I say them. Wax on, wax off. And you knew where I was going with that even before I finished that. Wax on, wax off. In order to begin training Daniel to defend himself, to have the capacity to learn the techniques of karate, he begins to bring Daniel to his house to paint his fence and to wash and wax his car, to do menial tasks around the house. And Daniel is offended. He's actually offended that he's wasting in his mind, he's wasting his time doing these menial tasks when what he envisioned was this technique training, trying to master these moves. And what we see, this brilliant storytelling meets its apex during this one tournament where Daniel is, is getting beat down. He's, 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 he's getting uh, his butt kicked in this karate competition. And in a last ditch, ditch effort. He does this, like, I think it's like this crane move. And it was this thing that I, I practiced actually as a little kid so often after I saw that, right? Where he raised his arms over his head. He balanced himself on one foot and, and brought his knee up into a kicking position on the other foot. And he goes in, the, the referee kind of blows the whistle to engage them and he kicks the other guy in the face. I thought, I thought that was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my whole life. And the thing was, we didn't see Daniel training with how to do that move for the whole movie. It's not like he started by just trying to balance himself and trying to learn the techniques of that crane kick. He built the capacity for his body to be able to perform that move through these activities that seem totally disconnected. And that is what happens when we engage in regular rhythms of spiritual practice and discipline. We begin to build a capacity to walk in the kingdom one day in a way that we cannot currently do it. We begin to build a capacity to carry the presence, the potent power and presence of God in a way uh, you know, down the road that we cannot do today. We begin to build capacity to steward the presence, formation, and mission of God in our lives in a way down the road that we currently do not have. One of the most profound, I think, difficult and powerful ways to do that is through the practice of silence and two practices, actually, of silence and solitude. In my personal life, these have been the most powerful training tools for walking in kingdom authority and power on the earth. They, more than anything else, have uh, quietly built in me a capacity spiritually to walk in the things of the kingdom today in a way that I could not four or five years ago when I began to really lean into them. I wanna say 
with these practices, these spiritual practices that we will never be something together in public that we are not on our own in private. You know, here in Canada, hockey is a huge thing. So whether it's hockey and you're looking at Connor McDavid for the Edmonton Oilers, or you're looking at, you know, uh, reluctantly the Toronto Maple Leafs close to where I live, and you're looking at Austin Matthews and others, they did not just show up and know how to do the moves they do in order to score the goals they do or or maneuver around defenders in the way they do, to handle the puck on their stick in the way they do. They just didn't show up and just suddenly know how to do that. They did that through training in private, training off the ice, training when no one was watching in order to actually carry that stuff with authority on the ice in the game at the speed of the game, in the intensity of the game. And so often we want to see the work of God through us, like we read about in scripture, like we read about in Jesus's life, like we read about in Daniel's life, like we read about in Paul's life, in the book of Acts and in John's life, as we see these men of God and women of God walking in authority and power on the earth, the the literal meeting place of the kingdom of God, the heaven, uh, sort of heaven-saturated lives on the earth. We, We want that but we actually fail to recognize that training for that through disciplines is the way to see that become a reality in our life. So these spiritual practices counterform us from building castles and fortresses. Uh, These blueprints, as we've talked about in the past, these counterformative um, blueprints, these counterfeit blueprints for our life, they, they counterform us, these practices from building a life around self and what we want and what we can control and what we deem is valuable. They, they counterform us from building a life around what we think is productive in achieving our own vision for life and what's worthwhile. Often we quote this famous quote from Dallas Willard, grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. And there is such truth in that. In the evangelical streams that I grew up in and maybe you're from, we get super nervous when we talk about spiritual practices because isn't that working to attain salvation? Isn't that working to attain favor from God? No, it's not. It has nothing to do with attaining righteousness from Jesus. Again, these are practices that are, 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 are places of access and encounter with the person of God. These are not things that we are looking to become experts in, in our own life. There is a story that I came across. Actually, our, our whole team, we huddle as a team on Sunday mornings And before the service starts, we get all of the volunteers together in the lobby. We sing some songs. We actually enter into some spiritual practices. We worship together. We listen to the Spirit together. And a number of weeks back, one of our volunteers, Liz, shared with us her story, like what's happened in her life as she has begun 
to practice the practice of silence and solitude. And it's not a long story, but it's a great example of what happens. As you begin to train in one area, you begin to see the fruit of that in another. So I wanna send you off to Liz. This is her giving a description of this stuff in her life from a number of weeks back in one of our live services. And after she's done, we're gonna come back into more of this. We were just asked to think about something that we were thankful for, and I had just been overwhelmed as I was um, reflecting on taking time in the morning for silence and solitude. It's not something that really comes easy to me because I realized quickly how distracted my thoughts were and how polluted my own thoughts were as I was just sitting in silence. It was really hard to just stop. And I'm a doer and I'm a thinker and a planner, so just to stop and practice silence every day, I realized quickly that it was really challenging, even though I've been a Christian most of my life, like since I was a little girl. Um, And the thing that really struck me that I'm really thankful for is that God just still chooses to speak to us, even if it's not in that moment of silence and solitude. That time just kind of has been calibrating my heart to his and um, through the day, even just like praying for something later on in the day, I just heard God's voice so clearly, something I was praying about. He said, I've already answered this. And I think just that time in the morning just made me super aware of how he's working and was able, it's just helped me to hear his voice. Um, and I didn't tell you I was going to say this, but Thursday morning, he gave me a word. Um, he just said, like he spoke the word stone to me. And I just want to share this verse. If it's okay, Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And I feel like that's what that time is doing for me. He's just moving me. Okay, so I love that. As Liz is communicating, look, I'm learning to be still and quiet. I'm learning to listen. I'm not trying to be an expert at it. I'm just, I'm giving God my attention and my time. I'm making him the priority of that time. And then what she's discovering is that her, her capacity to hear the Holy Spirit in other situations and other environments is increasing. She's realizing that in totally unconnected ways, God is beginning to give her a capacity to operate in his presence and his kingdom. This is the exact Karate Kid story. And there are other practices, scripture reading, prayer, generosity, Sabbath, fasting, community, all kinds of practices. So in order to be people of presence, formation, and mission, we have to use the tools, the training tools of engagement with scripture and a life of intentional spiritual practice. Again, these practices are not ends, they're means. They don't give righteousness, they're a way to access life with God. These practices are about being wise, not worthy, and they are a training mechanism to be able to live wisely the way of Jesus. These practices build capacity 
to walk in greater measures of kingdom presence, formation, and responsive mission. So these practices are just simply a mechanism, a vehicle to help us become men and women of presence, formation, and mission. And lastly, dependence on the Holy Spirit's gifts and power. This is another vehicle to help us become men and women of presence, formation, and mission. So we cultivate these things. We cultivate presence, formation, and responsive mission by learning to ask, listen to, discern and act on the Holy Spirit's leading. What we're calling you into as it relates to a life of mission, the vision that God is stirring within us to call you into is a life of responsive activity, not a life where you're making projects, where you are just doing good works kind of out of human agency and out of the flesh, but a life where you're learning to rely on, listen for, and follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That's all we're, we're calling you into. We're just calling ourselves into a daily cultivating of the Holy Spirit's voice, uh, an awareness of his gifts in us, and his power through us. We're calling you to live that kind of responsive life that Jesus himself lived. This was the basis of Jesus's life on mission. It's not about doing Christian things. It's not about even doing the quote unquote missional things. It's not necessarily about traveling overseas, building homes for people, or uh, you know, serving food to the hungry or the poor. Those absolutely may become expressions of that, but this is about living in responsive obedience to the voice of the Holy Spirit in your everyday real life. Having a responsive relationship, learning to trust His voice, and learning to take baby steps in stepping out in faith, taking risks to follow through and act on what you believe he is inviting you into. That's where we learn to cultivate and trust the Holy Spirit's gifts and power in our life. Our vision is that you would become a living cathedral of God's presence and power, the place where heaven invades the earth, the place where the kingdom of God meets the world around you. And in order for that to happen, we need to live the way of Jesus by training through engagement with scripture, through engagement with regular rhythms of spiritual practice, and through engagement with the Holy Spirit's voice, a responsive acting out, trusting his gifts and power, through us. I want to just say this as we kind of begin to land the plane here. This training begins in the private secret places of your life. This is so crucial. We're not inviting you to do more Christian things on the surface. We're not inviting you to attend more Bible studies. We're not inviting you to do more churchy things around the church. Those may come and that may be a fruit of responsive listening to the spirit and just following his direction. But we're inviting you to build your secret private inner life on the same priorities that Jesus had for his own life. Often in this training, we 
find it difficult not to slip into just a mode of trying harder and doing more sort of quote unquote Christian-y things. There's a cycle of trying harder that I want to help you recognize just as a way to help you identify whether you are training or trying. And that's this cycle of trying harder begins with just trying more stuff, adding more things to just spend your time doing, filling your time with Christian activity, which then leads to fatigue, which then leads to quitting, which then leads to guilt because you've quit, which then leads to trying more things. This is a crushing cycle of trying harder. We're not called to try harder. We're called to train through these vehicles of engagement in scripture, spiritual practices, and uh, a life of dependence on the Holy Spirit's and gifts and power so that we can become men and women of presence, formation, and mission. The two extremes that we need to guard against in that are the extremes of laziness and legalism. So for some of you, the extreme is gonna be, I don't, I don't, I don't wanna try anything. I have no motivation to do any of this stuff. Can't I just rest on the grace that God has given me? Can't I just rest that I'm a loved child of God? Of course you are. We're not talking about whether you're loved or not. We're talking about whether you're walking in the fullness of the presence and power of the kingdom of God on earth. We're talking about whether you are walking in the calling of God on your life on the earth. Some of you, though, need to guard against legalism and turning these mechanisms, these things that we've talked about into, um, into a metrics for righteousness, into a, a, a visible measure of your spiritual life. These things have nothing to do with measuring spiritual maturity. They are simply a vehicle to help us encounter and engage with the kingdom and presence of God. So what is the whole point of all of this? The whole point is that uh, God is calling us to become these living cathedrals, these potent men and women um, who carry his kingdom, power and majesty and beauty on the earth. What he's calling us into is to becoming people that carries such a potent and powerful presence of Jesus in us that it bends the culture around us. He's calling us to carry something within us that is more powerful than the world that is around us. He's not calling us to retreat into these sanctuaries of safety, safe doctrinal uh, sanctuaries, safe ethical and moral sanctuaries, safe places where everyone believes what we believe and thinks the way we think and is convicted about the things we're convicted about. He's calling us to walk into the dark places of this earth. He's calling us to storm the gates of hell. And the way we'll be able to do that is if we train to cultivate the presence of God in our life, formation into the image and character of God and a life of responsive mission in such a way that that culture around us is itself being bent, that the gates of hell are being bent 
from the force of the weight of the presence of God in us. Our vision is less about just kind of holding on and getting you into heaven. And it's more about getting heaven into you. It's more about your life igniting with kingdom power and presence, become a blazing, burning light of the kingdom of God on the earth. Jesus said, this is eternal life, Father, that they might know you. You know, I wanna just end this moment by just giving you a personal story. Our oldest son, Eli, he's 14. He just started high school this year. And, and we had, Rochelle and I had discerned many years ago, just because of what was happening in our elementary school education life, that in public education that we were going to send our kids to private Christian school. We never thought we would do that. I'm not saying that that's the right thing for everyone to do, but that was a decision we made when the kids were really young, that we wanted to help establish a strong foundation in their lives and help guard them against some of this indoctrination that's happening at very, very, very young ages right now, a militant indoctrination here in Canada in the lives of our school, um, our children in school. And so Eli graduated from grade eight and we were praying about what was gonna happen with high school. Should we send him to a Christian high school? What, what would happen if he went into the public system? Should we go into a Catholic school? And our hearts were heavy as we thought about our oldest son moving out into the world with everything that we know exists in the world around us. Our hearts were heavy. We were worried. We, we were filled with a desire to protect him and create this space around him that he would be um, continue to be kind of shielded from the stuff of the world around us. And in the middle of that, the Holy Spirit began to speak to Rochelle and I, and he began to just say, no, the answer is not to continue. And this is for us personally, uh, just for our family. The Holy Spirit began to say, the answer is not to continue to shield him from what is in the world around him. The answer is to become more intentional about cultivating the fruit of the kingdom of God in him so that his life, what's in him, what is formed in him, the presence of God in him becomes stronger than the presence of the world around him. The Holy Spirit began to deeply convict me, Andrew, you need to begin to deposit in him the things of the kingdom in such a way that he's carrying the presence of the Spirit of God in him in a powerful way, that his character is being formed into the image of God, that he's walking in power, but that a power is expressed through gentleness, through compassion, through kindness, not through bullying and agitation and anger and, and being right and winning arguments with those that don't agree with him, but that the kingdom of God is coming in power through the fruit of the Spirit, that you're teaching him to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, to rely on him and to trust his leading in his life. The Spirit of God was saying, Andrew, you need to begin to stir and cultivate that stuff in him, the, the formation of the kingdom of God in him in such a way that it bends the culture around him and he doesn't need to be protected from what's around him. In fact, you need to prepare him to be a man who walks in dark places 
carries the authority and the power of the kingdom in such a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against him. And that began to totally reshape my own vision for my own family, my own children, what it means to be a living cathedral of the presence and power of God in these dark places we find ourselves working in and sitting in classrooms in and engaging in, in the world around us. The vision that God is stirring in us is that you would be a living cathedral burning with the fire of God's presence, a life that is being counterformed into the image of God, the character of God, and a life lived in responsive mission to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna just enter into some lingering time, the same thing we do in our live services. I wanna just, I've said a lot here. I wanna invite you into a few minutes now where you begin to put into practice some of these things, these training mechanisms that we've talked about. This is training to hear and respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit. This lingering time comes out of a story in Exodus 33, and this was Joshua's training for leadership in Israel, his training for becoming a warrior and a leader of the people. His training was in the tent of meeting where he would sit with Moses as Moses met face to face with God. And then it says, even after Moses left, Joshua would stay and linger in the presence of God. That was the wax on, wax off training of Joshua for the things of the kingdom, for him to be able to walk out the calling of God on his life. That's what we're doing in this moment. So I have just a few questions. I want to invite you just to take a few moments and allow the Holy Spirit, ask Him to speak to you. And I just wanna ask Holy Spirit, would you just come now, would you, would you settle us into your presence? Whatever is going on environmentally around those under the sound of my voice, Holy Spirit, would you make your presence real right now? Would you begin to stir us with your voice? I want to invite you just to sit with the Holy Spirit and ask him these questions. I'm gonna give you a few minutes to reflect. We're gonna keep the music on in the background to help you focus. But here's what I want to invite you to linger with him on. This first question. Holy Spirit, how would Jesus engage with Scripture if he had my job, my schedule, my responsibility, my personality, and my desire? How would Jesus engage with Scripture if he were me? I want you just to listen for the counsel and the wisdom of the Spirit in that. I'm just asking Holy Spirit that you would help solidify a strategy 
for us uniquely in how to begin engaging with Scripture as a way to train ourselves to become people of presence, formation, and mission. The second question I want to just invite you to sit with the Spirit with, ask Him, is, Holy Spirit, what is a spiritual practice that you are inviting me into in this season of life? Remember, the goal isn't to be an expert. It's simply to be with Jesus, become like him and do the kinds of things that he did. So I wanna just, again, invite you to just sit and be still, listen for the Spirit's voice and just ask him, what is a practice? What is a spiritual practice you're inviting me into in this season of my life? question before we close out this part in our Vision 2030 series. I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit how you can begin to be more aware of his voice. I want you to ask him, would you begin, Holy Spirit, to help me identify your gifts in me and how I can follow you in obedience, how I can trust you, your gifts and your power in my life. asking Holy Spirit as we end this moment together would you teach us would you show us how to be men and women who carry the potent power and presence and beauty of the kingdom of God on the earth would you teach us to be men and women who are the meeting place of heaven and earth men and women who live the way of Jesus by becoming people of presence formation and mission for the renewal of of Niagara for the renewal of the world around us. We want to give ourselves to your vision for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.